0: Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we continue our trek through the titles of December. We are continuing to catch up on our reviews. Yes, indeed. Whiskey in hand, of course. Uh, Your host is always Alan from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. Joined by Keith, of course, who also has whiskey in hand, which is good to see.
1: Yeah, and also feels like he's from Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, you know given that I've uh, looked after the store on a number of occasions and uh, I'm in there as much as I can possibly be.
0: I think we should just, you know, start uh, updating your title as, you know, just part of the store, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, Keith was obviously kind enough to look after the store a, a week or so ago. Not only that, but managed to garner a positive five-star review on Google as well. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think those five stars were awarded for fizz, but well, not split hairs. It's a package deal. Keith comes with the poodle.
1: <laughs> that's fair that's fair and uh and 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 also an honor an honor to be associated with such a, a fantastic uh fluffy princess
0: <laughs> i think you're going to say an honor to be associated with the store but that's right <laughs> but yeah this this pod we're going to be going over uh issues released on the 15th of december so again loads of good stuff to jump into here mostly dc and marvel from what we we can tell from our release weeks Still some decent indie stuff in there as well, but uh, I think this is, after a few weeks of, you know, our picks of the week being indie titles, I think this is the week where the the big two strike back, so to speak. So, for me, I had 25 titles in total this week, that was 9 DC, I had 5 Marvel and 11 indie, but I also treated myself this week to a couple of hardcovers from some of my favourite titles of the year, uh, Strange Adventures and Rorschach, both from Tom Keane, Strange Adventures with Evan Doc Shaner and Mitch on art Rorschach with Jorge Fornes. And then as I've discussed previously with the X-Men stuff, I tend to go for an omnibus form. So this week saw the release of the Hellfire Gala Omnibus, which I'm looking forward to tucking into soon. So that was my toll. What about yourself, Keith?
1: Uh I was uh well for the first time in, in three weeks, you're you're ahead of me. Uh, where you're it's about you're taking time. the lead?
0: It's about time, uh,
1: and a, and a good solid six issues ahead of me as well. I've got nineteen titles, uh, seven of them DC, ten of them Marvel, and two of them were indie. And it's it's sort of around this time of the year that the releases start to get a wee bit squiffy. Uh, we both have sort of lower numbers this this week than we normally would have, um, and certainly the indie titles are are way way down. So.
0: Yeah, but plenty of great stuff still to discuss here in, on the 15th of December, so why don't you kick things off for us then with a Marvel issue.
1: Yeah, um, Venom number two is obviously the, it's the second issue of the the, the relaunch of Venom uh, with uh, Al Ewing and Ram V in charge, and the second issue has Ram V at the helm. And it officially drops the, the mantle of uh, Venom, the lethal protector into the hands of Eddie's son, Dylan. And if you're in this issue to find out a little more about Eddie's apparent death and what's going on there, you're going to be a wee bit disappointed um, because this does not handle that at all. The issue comes across maybe less chaotic and frenetic than the first issue, but probably at the cost of a lot of the action. Ram uses this issue to set up in, in order to, to, to progress the structure of the narrative moving forward while introducing a few new characters into the story. Um, I suppose with the rising threat of the Life Foundation, Dylan definitely has plenty on his plate and Ram's story is solid and Brian Hitch's art looks great as it usually does. I'm just not sure how invested I am in Eddie Brock's kid.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with Venom. I'm I'm enjoying it so far. I'm three issues in. I believe four just dropped there last week, but I haven't uh, read it just yet. But and, and we'll get on to this in a moment because another one of the, the titles we're going to be looking at a little bit later is Hulk number 2. Do you not kind of feel like we both really enjoyed the status quo of Donny Cates on Venom and Al Ewing on Hulk? And now they've been switched. It's almost like both titles are going through this little testing period where we're just not quite sure that we like the change.
1: Yeah, change is difficult. Change is difficult, but but let's try and embrace it. You know, there's, there's uh, I mean, this is Al Ewing and Ram V for God's sake.
0: Oh yeah, you know? creative teams are both fantastic on both titles. It's just I think those were two of the longer runs in recent Marvel history. Uh, you know, there's yeah, it's to- maybe
1: it's maybe jarring. It's maybe you know having something sweet after something savory or, or vice versa. You know, it'll just take take a wee while for your palate to adjust.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But I'm enjoying it so far. And in the past i wasn't sure about bran hitch art wise you know i don't know what it is there's just something about his art but i think in venom he's been really really solid so far so you know it's uh it's a great looking book for sure and yeah you know we've we've we faith in that creative team, so it'll uh, I'm sure it'll come good. So yeah, mm-hmm. Venom number two, the first honourable mention this week. The next one for me is Shocker, a Batman title, but <laughs> uh, it was a Batman miniseries coming to an end this week. It was Batman the Impostor number three, so written by Mattson Tomlin and art by Andrea Sorrentino. So I thought this miniseries ended with a bang, and and it left the reader plenty to think about. Uh, Keith had talked before on a on a previous pod about decorum. And wishing he could read it all together, and we'll maybe even pick up a hardcover to give it a reread all in one go. And I feel that way about Batman: The Imposter. I'll look forward to a nice hardcover reread of this. You know, it's been a very dark and very realistic look at what Batman would be like in the real world. You know, in this version, Alfred left long ago, unable to watch Bruce both risk and waste his life with this mission of his. Gordon was very quickly disgraced and forced out of the police department for aiding a vigilante. And Batman in this world is not a help to the police. In fact, he's he's public enemy number one. You know, it's it's very much been a character exploration piece. You know, lots of musings on whether Batman is a hindrance or a help. You know, is he making any difference? Will things ever get better? There's no easy answers here, and and the reader is left to make their is left to make their own minds up. Although in saying that, issue three was definitely the most action packed of the series and easily the standout issue for Sorrentino's art. You know the fast-paced action scenes are hard-hitting visceral and I've said it before I'll say it again you know Sorrentino is one of the best artists working in comics today so so yeah if you fancy a Batman story with a little bit of a difference the hardcover's already solicited I think it's due end of February uh, you could do much worse than uh, than picking up Batman the imposter and yeah very happy with how it ended I have to say very good uh, I didn't read it
1: myself if it came out in soft cover, I might Pay the price. I don't know if I'm gonna, if I'm willing to go as far as the hardcover price. And I have to say,
0: see, I think that's that's a discussion worth just having very quickly. I find it interesting that you know, as a store owner, DC and Marvel do things completely opposite. So Marvel will bring out a trade paperback first, and then they'll bring out a hardcover along the line. I mean, Spider-Man Life Story is a good example recently. So they brought Ooh. out a six-issue trade paperback, and then an annual came out, and then they collected it as a hardback. DC do the opposite. They release everything as a hardcover. And then down the line there really says a trade paperback. And it's it's sort of an interesting thing because I think there's some people who will look at it as I'd rather have the trade paperback, the cheaper price point, get into it and I'm happy with that. Whereas some people would look at it as I've bought this in trade paperback, this was great. Oh damn it, there's a nice hardcover out now, I'll buy that as well. So there there's no right answer, but I just find it really interesting. Um, that both companies yeah. approach it in different ways. Yeah, yeah.
1: It uh, you know. Whenever you know, you think about Slugfest, you know, when you think about DC being the uh the elder statesman, you know, the cigar smoking, cravat wearing, you know, and Marvel being the you know, the, the new money, Pepsi drinking, you know, fucking <laughs> uh you know, football shirt or shirt wearing sort of crowd. It's uh, it's kinda of funny. It's kinda of funny if you categorize them like that sort of uh, you know, that the yeah, interesting. very I think it's very interesting.
0: Well, I believe we're going to stay within the realm of the Bat with your next Honourable Mention.
1: Yes, we've got the new Bat uh, with I Am Batman number four. Uh, We have a bit of uh, fear state aftermath here with John Ridley's Batman, Jace Fox, in damage control mode following the the big crossover event uh, uh, for the Bat family. There's a lot of uh, focus on the supporting cast in this issue, largely the Fox family and a welcome approach to mental health issues uh, amongst that family and while those scenes are engaging there's maybe a little too much engagement with them
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know there's maybe a little too much time spent you know on the support and cast in this okay. issue that aside uh, John Ridley crafts a very timely narrative regarding government overreach and police states and the popularity of cult like militia groups um, you know this issue does an excellent job of, of dealing with a lot of Today's tough issues and presenting them in a form that is equal parts entertaining and thought-provoking. It looks like we're setting the stage for J. S. Fox to move out of Gotham to separate the Fox family from the familiar trappings of, you know, Bruce Wayne's world. But first, there seems to be a little house cleaning to do. Uh, <clears throat> That—that's certainly the impression that I got. it anyway, you know, and, and the issue may not be the most fast-paced or well-balanced of the the four issues so far, but it. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where this goes and interesting and seeing, you know, the, the Jace Fox Batman character and his, his supporting cast develop maybe separate from the, from that particular bat pond.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very well written title and really nice art to it as well every time. And it's, it's a good counterpoint to all the Bruce Wayne stuff and all the bat family stuff and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm digging on Batman too. I've, I've, Sticking with it the whole way through ever since the next Batman yep. in Fair State, as well. So, but it's good to see John Ridley working for you know both companies and. Obviously, turned out good work with Black Panther with Marvel, and I'm Batman with DC. So, uh but yeah, we're we seem to be in a little bit of a Batman or a Bat Family corner here at the moment because my next honourable mention a bit of a Bat Funk. <laughs> yeah, there there may have been a shortage of indie titles indie titles this week, but there was no shortage of Batman titles. So, uh the next one for me I want to mention is Batgirls number one. This is written by Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan, with art by uh, podcast favorite I would say Jorge Corona. You know this was this was so much better than I'd hoped. You know, I I I'll be honest. I may have been put off it a little bit simply because of the overload of previews in every single DC book for the last month. Although that may say more about how many DC titles I read rather than the volume of previews. But uh, yeah, imagine imagine a title. Imagine if you will, just picture it in your mind's eye featuring the bat symbol being set in the light with characters who enjoy the camaraderie of crime-fighting and helping the city, and tons of heart and humour. Yes, that sounds like Tom Tiller and Bruno Redondo's Nightwing, but it also applies to guard or tobacco <laughs> as well. You know, I thought this was a great opening issue, you know, incredibly likeable characters, a sense of history there between them, and just a plain lot of fun. You know, Conrad and Clunan, they really understand the family dynamics here between Barbara, Stephanie, and Cassandra. You know, they understand the differences and character between them, whether it's the level headedness of Babs, the impetuousness of Stephanie, or the, the seriousness and rebellious nature of Cassandra. And of course, there's that sweet Jorge Corona art. You know I mean? That would that would sell me in any book, to be honest, and and they're firing on all cylinders here, creating a world that's vibrant, interesting, bustling with life. The characters are fully realised and varied. And as you'd expect, the emotive work is is top notch as well. So I'd recommend this for new and old readers alike and also for all ages. And it's and it's great to read a Bat book where Bruce Wayne is nowhere to be seen, but his legacy, of course, hangs over it as well. So, yeah, really great first issue, I thought.
1: I feel like I've read it multiple times because it appeared, parts of it appeared so much in the back of all of the DC you books. Almost,
0: yeah, you almost feel like you so could long. cut them out and probably piece the <laughs> yeah. whole issue together. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, uh, oh, I hate that. <laughs> I absolutely hate that whenever you get to the the last three or four issues of your book and it's another fucking advertisement for bat girls but you know, it's, it's the way DC do things. I suppose I didn't, I didn't pick it up. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I've sort of enjoyed what they did with the characters and, and fear state, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all of that camaraderie between the two of them and, and all of that. But, uh, but it, it's outside of my, of my second circle of, of bad books. You know what I mean? I've, I'm on both both core titles, and then I've got my night Wings and various bits and pieces, and I just, you know, that 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 circle is a little closer with DC than it would be with Marvel.
0: No, that's that's completely fair. I mean, to be honest, they're they're characters that I like, but I wouldn't be you know chomping at the bit for a title with the minute. But I was really surprised by this first issue. I just gave it a go because of the Hargate art and and I have to say I I dug it so much. I picked up number two as well. So yeah fun, fun title fun title but yeah the 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 bat titles seemingly have no end right right the bat the bat continues with uh Batman the adventures continue
1: season two number seven Batman the animated series remains I think it would be fair to say one of the best versions of Batman we've gotten in modern history
0: possibly the best hmm.
1: and uh, this comic The adventures continue as a a very fitting tribute to that animated series. Um, This is the second season of this particular comic. They're organizing it by seasons and it's the seventh issue. Barbara finds herself being used to swing the election to the city's corrupt former mayor and uh, Barbara wakes up after discovering the former mayor has been working with the Mad Hatter. Upon discovering the secret of how he's been able to turn the public opinion to his favor, She is chosen to be the next part of the former mayor's plan to retake the city, a plan that will see the current mayor scrambling to get an endorsement from the self-same one and only Bruce Wayne. After Batman discovers what the Hatter did at Arkham to secure his release, he learns how Barbara is being used by the former mayor Mayfield, and he and Robin and Nightwing go out looking for her, and evidence starts to mount, and the the clock starts to tick as Gothamites head to the polls, And... uh, you know, Mayfield then decides to take the hatter back to Arkham in order to enlist the inmates to take Batman out of the picture. So while Bat Nightwing battles to save Barbara, Batman and Robin face down the inmates of the asylum whilst everybody waits in the results of the election. It's it, it's, it's great stuff, and it's it's just the perfect amount of new stuff <clears throat> shaken over with a, a healthy serving of nostalgia that we all have for the animated series. And if you like Batman, the an- animated series, and... Or if you like comics, you know of that variety, then this is definitely the one for you.
0: Um,
1: my question though is, is this the last issue of this season?
0: I believe so. Yeah, I know that uh, series regular artist Ty Templeton's had some health issues recently, uh, and yeah, I think and that may be. You know. I think that may be contributing to it. But yeah, I mean, it's the adventures continue. I think it's been pitch perfect comics. It's as you Ooh. say, it's it's the it's the right amount of nostalgia and nostalgia is always a dangerous thing. Sometimes things aren't as good as you remember, but mm-hmm. they have that nostalgia, but they also introduce anything that's been added to the Batman mythos in the last 30 years, whether oh. it was mm. the court of Isles, for example, or it was red hood, red hood, you know, it, it it's done it in just the right way, I think. And, you know, the art has been on point. It they, they just feel like lost episodes of the animated show, mm. which is, they do. Is, they do. is fantastic.
1: So, so yeah, I mean, my question, you know, my follow-up question as to whether this was the last issue of the season, uh, my follow-up question to that is, will there be another season? Because, you'd, you'd like damn, so. there should be,
0: yeah. You'd like to think so. I mean, I think as soon as you call it season two, I think that, yeah, you'd have to think there's going to be another season. Otherwise, uh, what was the point of bringing it up in the seasons, you know? But, yeah, I, I really do hope that uh, it will continue as a title because, yeah, I, I love this. It's just great escapism. It, it reminds you of being a kid watching, you know, the yeah. Batman, the animated series on a Saturday morning, you know, your Saturday morning cartoons type thing. And yeah, uh, it's a great recommendation for all ages as well. Uh, oh, for big Batman, time. big time, but yeah, but not at the expense of covering all facets of Batman mythology. That's, no, what's, that's what's so great no, about it. it. Every, yeah, every villain you can think of has an animated version, whether it's Scarecrow, Raz Al Ghul, Joker, whatever. And it they're, they're done in an all ages way, which is, is incredible oh, in a way. Yeah, that it works so yeah, well. Good so, stuff. So yeah, so I would imagine the trade won't be too far away from this then. Uh, The first trade's already out and I would say season two is not far behind. So we move away from the Batman-loving corner and over to the realm of indie comics with the next title, which, admittedly, is another number seven, but for this one it's Adventure Man number seven from Image Comics. So this is written by Matt Fraction, and art is by the team of the Dodsons, the the married couple and long, long-time long work colleagues Terry and Rachel Dodson. So we're hip-deep very much in the second arc of Fraction and the Dodson's pulpy adventure title, and and I'm delighted to say it remains as fun and fresh as ever. You know, our main character, Claire, she's getting more and more used to her powers. And she's also investigating things like ghosts she saw on the subway. You know, why are they here? And is there a connection between them and the cross-dial kid? What I really enjoy about Adventure Man is that it's a title that is set within the pulp genre. And by that, I mean all facets of pulp. You know, we've had adventure, we've had supernatural, we've had superheroes. And now with issue seven, we're drifting into the Western you know, Adventure Man has a love for all of these genres and it's clear Fraction is having a lot of fun working within them. And the other great thing about the book for me is the ensemble cast. You know, the ensemble cast here is so much fun. There's a lot of great character work and, and nearly all of the supporting characters could, you know, have their own title, to be honest. Fraction is great at making each character sound unique. And then, of course, the Dodsons take the baton and run with it, consistently producing beautiful almost nostalgic retro art so yeah i highly recommend the title adventure man you know the first four issues are available as a deluxe hardcover and it's yeah it's just a love letter to to pulp storytelling
1: love it i absolutely love it
0: yeah i mean especially as we're drifting into the western of course
1: of course yes absolutely <laughs> have a, a little a little weakness for the for the six guns and the and the 10 gallon hats
0: well, as well as that pulpy adventure, you have a little weakness for other pulpy adventures, but this time set within the world of Marvel.
1: That is correct, with Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land number four, which reaches its, it, it reaches its penultimate issue and begins to reveal secrets, as well as set the various characters up for their final confrontation that could cost the plunders everything. Uh, things take on a bit more of a superhero feeling than eco-horror in this issue which is fine. Uh, there's a new art team that still brings a lot of energy and fantastical elements to the to the page. As I say, it is time for the penultimate issue of this new eco-horror series, and that means reaching the point in the story where you know, the proverbial cards need to be played information-wise. Uh, we need to start revealing some stuff, and sometimes that can be a point that unfortunately slows down a narrative, but that's not the case here. There's a lot that has been thrown out in this issue, yes, but including more information on the role that Kazar and Shanna play in the Savage Land and how the natives feel you know about that role but it continues to flow thanks to the way that Zach Thompson handles the world and the characters the art change isn't actually that jarring as mid-series sort of art changes can be because Sharma's style with the addition of the team of inkers isn't too far from the look of energy that Garcia brought to the previous issues and Mila's colours match lopez's tones pretty well they're maybe a tad brighter and not dulled down as much for effect i had kind of presumed that this series was an ongoing and i'm a little disappointed that some of these concepts aren't going to get a chance to breathe only realizing that this is a five issue series
0: yeah five issue miniseries for this but i think marvel do this with some of their sort of lesser known characters they're happy to commit to a five issue series if it does well Maybe they'll do another five issue mini that sort of thing, and and Kazar is not. I wouldn't say they're they're very much a legacy character for Marvel, but I'm not sure they're oh. the most well known in modern days. If if that's fair.
1: And I think that is that is fair. I mean, Kazar is a long running character. You know the concept, the same concept of Tarzan. You know, and and there's, I mean, there's there's probably something about the the you know the great white hunter and, you know. Becoming the hero, the native hero, and all of that sort of stuff. So it's it's interesting that that's addressed directly in this in this issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I mean, I like I like Kesar. He's he's been tried in various various times. Maybe maybe the the time of Tarzan has passed. But the fact that they've you know they've they've linked this with the same this done right. This could be the equivalent of of what Ram V is doing with Swamp Thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, with that eco horror sort of side of things. There's, I think there was something Zach Thompson was trying something similar here, and and maybe maybe Marvel just hasn't allowed it that that time to breathe, you know. But uh, but yeah, I think that's how you could make Kazar relevant to the modern age, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this was issue four, as you say, of a five-issue mini. Well. Keep an eye out and let you know certainly if there is going to be a, a follow-up miniseries to that. So, But we're going to stick within the realm of Marvel and on to Hulk number two. So we've spoken about Hulk number one in the previous pod, written by Donny Cates, art by Ran Otley. And, you know, Hulk so far for me, it's a very curious title. You know, on one hand, it is absolutely gorgeous with Ran Otley clearly having fun, channeling his inner invincible style to produce some of the most violent, visceral art in any Marvel book right now. He's really pushing the boundaries with it, especially with a, a showdown in this issue between Hulk and Wolverine. But then on the other, it's a ridiculously written title by Donny Cates, and it's so high concept that I can't decide if it's utter genius or utter nonsense. But I'm still intrigued to find out, so I'm still, so I'm still reading, so it's got its claws in me a little bit. So uh, <clears throat> with this... The crux of it is the Hulk has been transformed into a multiverse hopping starship. You know, as Banner tries to guide his monstrous body to his mysterious destination, his Hulk persona is buried deep. The Hulk does his best to fight his way back to the top, but something might stop both personas coming out on top. Yeah, you heard all of that correctly. I cannot deny this title is a lot of fun and embraces the ridiculousness of superhero comics as a medium in general. I just worry that if this continues i might get a little lost and that the concept could be a little bit of style over substance perhaps but for now i'm more than happy to continue to embrace the insanity because issue two was a hoot (laughs) i mean i think yeah i think that that is a hoot i think it is a a hoot there's that sort of slight horror
1: comic horror that ryan otley brings with the art and i mean donny cates is as a wild card but he's a proven wild card so all good
0: yeah well again i'm i'm continuing with the title and i will give it the first arc at the very least but i just uh yeah i just i just worry that it might be a little too clever for its own good if that makes sense
1: you know donnie had the same problem with crossover in us Mm -hmm. uh you know crossover great concept you know where we were coming into it strong and 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 the thought of it and then i think you and i both felt the same but now you were both back on with the vengeance
0: yeah, very much. So, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. As you say, he's very much proven. So, I will continue with it for the foreseeable. So, but again, we're going to stick in the world of Marvel. And next up is definitely one of your favorite books. I would say Marvel because this again is a uh, a constant fixture in honorable mentions and picks of the week.
1: And I am very surprised it is. Very surprised it is because not my not my fandom, uh, but you know the the writer uh, the creators behind it have just done such a great job. So we're talking about Eternals number eight, and there was a great gillen esque solicit, which uh, I have to just read back to you. Eternals and deviants have been at war for a million years. Our Eternals have had enough. They want to live in peace alongside the deviants, the deviants of other ideas. Meanwhile, Thanos is prime eternal, and to everyone's surprise, puts into action a series of sensible policies for the good of all. There's a lie in the solicit. You may be able to spot it. I mean, Gillen is a masterful writer and this issue is a great proving ground for that. This is a normal length comic and he crams so much information into every page. He structures the whole thing as to make it as exciting as possible. Gillen is an expert at making info dumps exciting and the way he does it with little things. For example, he lays out the change with a capital C that the deviants go through in the beginning of the issue a piece of information for, you know, lapsed fans. And there's, there's an awful lot of folks who are lapsed fans of the Eternals and for new fans alike. And the eternal reaction to it in order to make the moment where Thina finds out that her deviant lover, you know, what, what he's gone through, it just, it it allows that moment within that issue to make perfect sense. Even if you're just coming at it fresh, it's, 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 it's really nicely timed. It's almost like, Gillen is a more, I don't know, a, a more like like the the light entertainment version of of Hickman, the way he does things <laughs> in some ways. Uh, you know, it, it's a great way to set things up. It gives readers information that they might not have, and and then gives it, you know, gives it an immediate payoff, uh, which is just just fantastic. You know, he uses those those Hickman like data pages, you know, throughout this just to explain things. Uses them. Then brilliantly. And and you know, Isad Ribic crafts some beautiful imagery throughout the issue. I mean, Isad Ribic is, you know, at least fifty percent of the reason that you're you keep coming back to this book. Everything everything he does is is phenomenal. The, The characters are dramatic and dynamic throughout, and Thanos is as menacing as you have seen him since Endgame. Uh he's just just great. It's a it's a fantastic reinvention and expansion of the the eternal's mythos as was created by Jack Kirby back in the day. and it's one of the best looking books on the shelves, and it runs beautifully alongside the release of the movie with regard to timing. It echoes it while also rising far, far above it. just it's it's been a great eight issues. Um, and in addition to the eight issues, the one shots have been phenomenally informant, informative um, great stuff, just great stuff great crafting
0: yeah, I know you've spoken very very highly about Eternals I mean I, I dropped off it after I think I only read the first issue for whatever reason and just dropped off it but I still haven't seen the movie so uh, it's on Disney Plus now so uh, I'm determined to watch it hopefully sometime over this weekend and then maybe that'll bring me back on to this I mean I, usually anything <laughs> Karen Gillen I'm straight on to anyway and he said of course, doing great work uh before with Conan and many, many other titles as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, I get the feeling this is a nice big hardcover book waiting to happen. I think so, I think so, Alan, and I think whenever I say it runs
1: alongside the movie, the movie, you know, explores some of the, the concepts that were set out in the, you know, the original formulation of the, the Eternals in a in a in a more in a simpler way. Mm-hmm. Which you'll kind of go, you'll you'll they'll give you a familiarity with the characters because that's part of the problem. There's so many characters, they'll give you a familiarity with those characters, and then you'll go, actually, you know, Ciaran Gillan's doing that better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so basically, watch the movie and then uh, read the book so that you can just go, this is so much better than the movie. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Well, as I say, I'll try to get to the movie at some point over this weekend, anyway. But mm. yeah, this this seems like to me. I mean, Kieran Gillen's always been a master of more long-form storytelling, and, uh, you know, Die really showed that. I, We haven't really mentioned it here, because I think you reviewed it before, but I read the last four issues of Die back-to-back and just absolutely adored how it ended. And again, as soon as it ended, I was like, yeah, this series needs a reread, so... Yeah, yeah yep. Hopefully Eternals will hit that, uh, that hardcover at some point, and I'll get properly caught up on that, mm. so... One more honourable mention for myself, which I almost feel guilty throwing in now <laughs> after talking about <laughs> such a transcendental title like Eternals there. But uh, yeah, the last one I wanted to mention was Gun Honey number four. So this is written by Hardcase Comics creator Charles Ardai and art is by Anghor Kang. And, and there, there there is a good bit of synchronicity here though because having already highlighted Adventure Man as an example of pulp storytelling, you know gun honey is another perfect example you know i've i've spoken on the pod before about this title you know the general gist being a good looking woman for hire who can put a gun wherever you need it to be she'll never pull the trigger herself but you know she'll make sure you get any weapon for a price and this title it's it's full of adult noir tropes you know the good looking woman who will use anything whether it be her intellect connections or even sexuality to get what she needs The agent who is both on her side wanting to help but also on the side of the law. Shady organisations, bad people from her past showing up. It's all here but it's just all told with a style and a swagger that you can't help but enjoy it. And then to mention the art as well, Anghor King's pitch perfect pulp art is superb. It can sometimes veer a little bit towards the side of adult orientated even, even to the point of being an Andy title and being a little bit titillating. (laughs) <clears throat> <laughs> but for me it always serves a purpose, you know, it <clears throat> it highlights the horrible seedy world within which the main character, Joanna Tan, conducts her business. I was really happy with how this ended, but even happier to see the words that would certainly echo the best 07 titles. Gun Honey Will Return. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah. <laughs> I'll look forward to more of this. It's just a fun comic, and uh though I do feel a bit guilty introducing it after we talked about Eternals.
1: <laughs> not to worry, <clears throat> not to worry. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm uh, moving on to Amazing Spider-Man. You know, which is, you know, uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, a fantastic <clears throat> title, but but definitely as you, you described it, not the transcendentalism of uh, of, of of Eternals. <laughs> so I'll chat a wee bit about Amazing Spider-Man number eighty-one, which was part of the it's part of the Spider-Man Beyond. I can't remember which chapter, I think we're up around chapter 10 now or something along that. Written by Saladin Ahmed and illustrated by Carlos Gomez with colors by Brian Valenza. Ben Riley, over the last uh, 10 or so chapters, has faced many threats during his tenure as Spider-Man, including Morbius and Craven the Hunter. However, he faces a unique challenge whenever uh, Beyond Corporate asks him to take on the new challenge of convincing Miles Morales... (laughs) to give up the now trademarked mantle of Spider-Man. However, Miles isn't as easy a sway as Ben maybe hoped he was. The issue sees Ahmed taking over writing duties, which is definitely an exciting development because Ahmed has done wonders on writing Miles Morales' Spider-Man, you know, the 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 core Miles Morales title, fleshing out the the younger web slinger, uh, you know, especially after his um, increase in profile, you know, with the the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse success. It's only natural that, that the the writer of the core series picks up plots from that series, including Miles dealing with the malevolent assessor as a villain and his very own version of the clone saga. Um which is kind of ironic, you know, because Ben ends up scuffling with another clone. In this case the clone of Peter Parker. Uh, there's a there's an irony there. But on the Ben side of things, Ahmed, you know, shows he knows he's got a handle on on the new Spider-Man. You know, Ben has this, you know, rapport with the his handler, Marcus, who who works for the Beyond Corporation. And he's willing to talk about the Craven situation with his girlfriend Janine. That involved Ben being drugged by Craven and all of this. And Ben even calls out the Beyond CEO Maxine Danger over the the situation with Miles. So it's a real it's a real tense situation because Miles is our hero, but Ben is our hero, but they're up against each other. It's it's really it's really cool, especially whenever Salad and Ahmed is writing them both, uh, and I'm 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 great to see in his his introduction to the Beyond board. But it's another fantastic issue. I'm loving Spider-Man Beyond. Constantly surprised by how refreshing and intelligent the the change of pace and storyline has turned out to be, you know, that the way they're handing between writers and creative teams and artists within the one story is something that I thought I would hate, but I'm loving because everybody is of a standard and you know the action in the issue is, is visually thrilling, the characters look fantastic on the page, and I love Ben Riley.
0: <laughs> so you're very glad he has his own mini series, is what you're saying. Yes. I have
1: not yet read the JMD. GM- <laughs> the mattis series first issue it's sitting on the pile that is two weeks deep yeah. uh, and i'm looking forward to getting to it so especially because Dan Dematis was was one of the the original creators of of ben riley back in the day the only thing that's missing of course is the uh is the the black the red costume with the blue hoodie
0: <laughs> do you think we'll get that back at any point oh i can only really hope it's one of my favorite spider-man costumes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just love the fact that the Beyond CEO is called Maxine Danger. I mean, that sounds like a character should have been in Gun Honey about to be honest.
1: <laughs> I think there's more to be revealed about Maxine yet.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good to hear that uh, Amazing Spidey, it's, it's, you do always have that worry when you've got a, quote, writer's room and rotating artists and it's being pumped out weekly and stuff like that. You, you always do worry that maybe a title will lose its momentum or lose its focus, that kind of thing. But... It seems like they've uh they've worked this out well. Um, I'm a couple issues behind. I have been reading it since uh the the Beyond storyline started, so I do have the issues there, but I'm just a couple couple behind. But uh, yeah, last honorable mention then is Amazing Spider-Man eighty one. So, as we always do, it's time for picks of the week. And after weeks and weeks of indie picks of the week, we are finally reverting back to type. Yes, indeed. I have a DC title related to Batman, and Keith has a Marvel title. So <laughs> I will kick things off then with the Joker number ten. So this is written by James the IV and art by Francesco Francavilla. So you know we've we've talked about a lot. Of, we've talked a lot about a lot of titles that are repeatedly brought up on our honorable mentions or picks of the week. And for me, the Joker has been a pick of the week or an honorable mention almost every single issue fully ignore the punchline backup stories as they do nothing for me but the main story is nothing short of spectacular I think I think this I think this Joker run exceeds anything that Tinian did during his run on the main Batman title and one of the reasons for that is how much Tinian is enjoying building on the Joker stories of the past you know he's building upon pre-established mystery surrounding the clown prince of crime and and filling in some other blanks along the way so With this issue, it takes place not long after the events of The Killing Joke. So Barbara has been shot and crippled by the Joker. Gordon is struggling to come to terms with how he let that maniac hurt his daughter. He's insecure in his job and his ineffectiveness in general. Throw into that James Gordon Jr. being dropped off to stay with him and Gordon discovering that Junior has more than a little fascination with the Joker and his methods as well. I think it's really interesting to see this period of Batman lore explored because back then Gordon healed rather quickly and just got back to business and Barbara was pretty much forgotten about until her brilliant reintroduction back into the world of Gotham as Oracle, curated by Kim Yale and John Ostrander. I've always thought this series should have been called Gordon instead of Joker to be honest as almost all of the interesting elements here are centred around Gordon. You know, the original setup of Gordon being able to kill the man who has caused him so much pain led to so many interesting ethical questions. Does he believe the law failed him when he spent his lifetime upholding it? Would the world be a better place without the joker in it? Could he compromise his own values so late in life to help secure a better future for the family he'll leave behind? You know, with this issue, and indeed we we spoke before in a previous pod about the annual before this, it's a pleasure to have Francesco Francavilla on Art again. I've always been in love with his depiction of, Goth- of Gotham and Gordon's world around him. And the fact that he worked on the Black Mirror run with Scott Snyder and Jock, which introduced this version of James Gordon Jr. only to have him on this issue, which flashbacks to this time, it just brings everything full circle for me. You know, with everything Gordon has seen and endured throughout his life, it's actually not too much of a stretch to side with the idea of him killing the Joker for the greater good and taking that responsibility on his shoulders you know even though he knows it would destroy his relationship with batman with barbara and almost anyone close to him he seems ready to take on that burden but what's really interesting about the series is conversely with everything that has happened and with how insane the joker is the joker may just see gordon killing him as the ultimate victory you know as he would have compromised his soul and ultimately turned him into a monster in other words what he had set out to do in the killing joke may actually come to pass you know who says the joker can't play the long con um yeah i'll be curious to see where this last few issues take us this series is destined to end at issue 14 i adore this series it just it builds on everything i love about the batman mythos and everything about the relationship between gordon and and the joker and with batman as well just yeah this may have been my favorite issue of the joker so far and i'm fully aware i've probably made that statement before as well brilliant series
1: yeah i'm loving it um i i think gordon is one of the most compelling characters in the batman mythos, uh and and i think this exploring uh, exploring Gordon through the Joker series and the annual and, and whatnot has been very, very successful.
0: It it finishes at 14, is that, is that what you said? Yeah, number 14, so the solicitations this month, uh, the previous books arrived in today, so I always knew it was either 14 or 16, I couldn't remember which, but uh, yeah, 14 has been solicited as uh, a final issue.
1: Right, and will that leave Nice House in the Leg as Tinian's final DC book?
0: You would think that, but the one thing that Tinian always said he would write for DC was the sandman and he's doing a sandman miniseries starting in april ah, interesting
1: interesting i noticed the last previous book also solicited four sandman softbacks
0: yep they're bringing everything ah. back with the netflix series not far away and yeah they're continuing with the sandman universe titles and tinian is writing the the next one so just when Very i cool. thought i was out they pulled me back pulled in. Me and they may use those softbacks
1: to get in in the first place
0: <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so that was my pick of the week for this week joker number 10 so why don't you finish us off then with your pick of the week for december 15th
1: which as you mentioned true to true to type is a is a marvel number uh we've got strange academy number 14 and as you know i actually you know i absolutely love a bit of alternate reality time travel jiggery pokery, um especially when you get to see the possible fates and final forms of characters you've come to know and love and postulate as to the stories that got them to that place. This is precisely that, and it's told with all the love and heart that we've come to expect from Scotty Young whenever writing this book. And it also helps when we kick off with a cold open into my favorite alternate reality of them all, as we touched upon this week with the illustrious Mr. Ryan Parrott, The Edge of Apocalypse. Uh, so we get a nice wee, a nice wee touch on on that, and following our guided tour of Edge uh, of Apocalypse by uh, by Brother Voodoo, as the students learn the importance of not messing with time and what it can do, the students work on their own time hops, and and Doyle finds himself in an unfamiliar future where he notices some familiar faces. In that future, Doyle sees an Emily, his present day girlfriend, who he doesn't recognize, an older Emily. He follows that her and and the group back into the ruins of the. Academy to see Emily give a speech to those gathered, many who we recognize as older virgins of their, of their current academy, you know, kid selves um, It's a speech that's interrupted by his older self and his own forces preparing to confront his former friends we watch watches the two groups engage in battle and he's ripped back into the present and meanwhile Calvin is so upset that he's so far behind in the magic now that he's lost his magic that he, he meets with the character who was introduced a couple of issues back, Gaslamp, to request a wish, and Gaslamp, ever the magical drug dealer, offers Calvin, a small taste for free. Scary, scary stuff. And uh, one of the many plot lines that Scotty Young has been so skillfully juggling since the beginning of this series, is how various characters have talked about the threat of Doyle Dormammu. Obviously, the the son of of Dormammu, and and exactly, you know, who he could turn out to be, or what he could turn out to be, and. There was even talk early on about a prophecy surrounding him. So using the magical ability to witness timely nine events as a as a tool to finally have Doyle see himself, you know, confronted with a possibility was a really nice move on on Scotty Young's part. You know, the the teen romance drama between Doyle and Emily has been one of the best parts of this comic, and they this issue really find a great comic book way to add even more drama to that how would you feel if you went into the future and saw yourself as your girlfriend's arch enemy and saw your future girlfriend in a relationship with your rival that's tough stuff and makes for a very fun comic book it makes for a very fun ongoing character drama you know which is really what this book's about and again the visit to the future is just really fun comic book craft it takes a certain kind of Artists to be able to seamlessly weave between the more fun and lighthearted elements and the emotionally taxing, deep hard moments. Sometimes doing them at exactly the same time. And Humberto Ramos is, is just one of those artists, and his art adds so much to this book. You know that he's part of it. You know it. it you know that it's it's got these this fun unrealistic cartoony tone to it. You know, but it also has this depth and reality that it could nearly pop off the page or, or drag you into their world. Um, perfect marriage mm-hmm. of a writer and artist here, I think. And overall, very glad that, you know, stranger, strange Academy is, is back on its, on its feet again. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know, could this be a, a, a fairly solid jumping on point to the story?
0: Yeah, I mean, if there was one so far, I think this is one you could jump on with. You know, it it presents sort of future threats with, you know, the the future visions and so forth. I mean, I I do kind of feel that it is the kind of book that you do need to read from the start just because of the sheer volume of the cast of characters. And they're all really well-rounded by this point, really well explored. I agree that I think this is one of Marvel's best titles. And and the fact that it's an all-ages title, I think, is another one of its strengths i just go back slightly to what you were talking about there with the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, I should say that after listening to the enthusiasm of yourself and Mr. Empire chatting about it, I have the omnibus (laughs) on the way to read because I have not yet. I've never read it. But your your sheer excitement for that title, I had the opportunity to purchase a omnibus of it. So it's, it's on its way. So I'll report back with that. But... But yeah, one of the things I love about this title is sometimes with ongoings from the big two, there's fill-in artists or there's you know, breaks in the main storyline to do one-shots to let the main series artists catch up. This title doesn't work without Humberto Ramos for me. The art is just as important as the writing in this and I'm so glad he's been on every single issue so far. Um, yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, it's it's one of my top Marvel pulls, uh, top-of-the-pile sort of reads so yeah i just hope that the the series continues this this high level and there's no reason to think that it won't
1: yeah no brilliant brilliant Abs, I've, I've loved it from the start continue to love
0: it yeah so that was case pick of the week for the 15th of december which was strange academy number 14 so that brings an end to our four-hour recording session of four weeks worth of titles Seamlessly d- divided into four separate episodes. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed our uh, little look back at titles. Back through uh, the end of November and the Dece- start of December. We will endeavour to keep these pods coming. And play proper catch up. We-, we promise to be caught up relatively soon. But thank you guys for sticking with us. Hope you enjoyed this. Again as ever any titles that you may have missed out. That uh, you might want to jump on. Just get in touch with the store. And we will get you guys sorted. So. After chatting about comics for the last four hours, all I want to really do now is go and read some comics.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a a, a four-color odyssey, and uh, it was a pleasure to join you on it, sir.
0: Always, always. So uh, my thanks as ever to Keith uh, for chatting through and indulging my geeky chatting of comics, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in the store soon, I hope. So Uh, again, hope you enjoyed this, and we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store
1: at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at coffee and Heroes one and I'm ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and
0: community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well